you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. Welcome, everyone. Uh, nice to see you all. Um, okay, so uh, today I have a, a relatively simple um, plan uh, for us, and uh, it, it is this. I, I, I just want to try to uh, look at the text of the Torah, this week's Parsha, um, and uh ask the question very simple question um uh here i'll I put it on the on my source sheet and it's just like i couldn't i couldn't even come up with a uh, a better title maybe i will by the time we podcast this but the question that i want to ask today is this um was 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 asaf bad e esau i i can't say esau because i don't know it sounds to me like somehow like overly protestant but um, Asav is how we say, we say it, but Esau, Asav, um, was was he a bad guy? Was he a bad guy? That's the basic question I want to I want to try to ask today, just um, by looking at the text of the Torah. And I say that deliberately because if we go into rabbinic literature, the answer is clear. Okay, and, and that's part of what I. I'm grappling with there is this um there is this phenomenon that you 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 come up against um uh when you start to look at rabbinic commentary where certain characters who seem entirely sympathetic in the Torah I don't want to say entirely because that's my whole question is, is there something in the Torah that is cluing these rabbis into their assessment as just a, a damning assessment, just a damning. There are certain figures in the Torah, um, sorry, certain figures in rabbinic literature. When I say rabbinic literature, I mean like starting with the Midrash and the Talmud in the first and second centuries of the Common Era, um, certain figures who um, um, have a the, the dubious distinction um, of harasha, the wicked one, harasha. So some of those figures like Pharaoh, Paro Harasha. Okay, fine. Haman Harasha. Okay, yeah, like that's obvious. Those are the villains in the story. But there are characters who are um, damned by the rabbinic, I don't know, imagination assessment um, who don't look so bad when we look at the Torah itself. And one of those figures is um, Bilam or Balam, the prophet. Um, we'll have to wait 
to assess um, him in the book of numbers, but there's an example of someone who seems like seems like a good guy, even worships the God we worship and follows that God's orders. But the rabbis hate Bilam, hate, hate, hate Bilam, uh, and 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 we could go and try to uh, figure out why over there. But today I want to try to figure out why it is that the rabbis hate um, Asav, Esau, Asav. I'm going to say Asav. Um, why do the rabbis hate Asav? Um, now, there are some obvious answers that I want to just name at the start, because we're going to try to figure out uh, if there's anything in the text that's cluing them off. But there are some, you know, almost like background um, hovering above the text uh, um, uh, concerns. And one is simply that uh, it's the obvious, right? Asaph's the other brother. Jacob's our forefather. That's our team. So Asaph's the other team. It doesn't feel like a like a a noble justification for the condemnation of of of, of an entire figure. Um uh but maybe actually the other reason is more helpful, which is that it isn't just a condemnation of an in, an entire person, but um uh but actually an entire nation. And that's that's certainly uh, one way of thinking about this is that Esav becomes the progenitor, the father of the nation of Edom. Edom. And Edom is like turns out to be one of the enemies of of Israel. Um fame famously, or at least like fir firstly, um, in the Torah, we see a confrontation when um in the book of Numbers, Moses tries to cross through the land of Edom, offers a kind of peaceful, we'll just, would you just let your brother pass by? By the way, Moses, Moses is still calling Edom your brother, my brother, right? So there's some link there to an entire nation that becomes an enemy. And so maybe this is explanatory, um, either through prophecy, you know, if you're a traditionalist, or um, uh, there's a word for this, an etiology. It's like a story that was written to explain uh, why it is that we're against uh, the, we, we've had this this um, conflict with this nation, right? And we could ask this question. One of the reasons that I um, I am interested in this in this question is that we could ask it of a lot of the um, siblings or cousins who fork off from the um, from the covenantal family in the Torah and wonder you know, the same thing about Ishmael. What is the status of Ishmael, you know, for example? But I must say that the rabbis have their suspicions about Ishmael, but you can find rabbinic literature that valorizes Ishmael. You can find rabbis named after it, Rabbi Ishmael, right? But you're never going to find a Rabbi Asav. That, that, that figure it just, just it receives total condemnation. And I must say, I'm not exactly sure why. Because if you look at the plain text of the story, today's Parsha, I should say, is Parsha Toldot. And it might be my favorite Parsha. It is a masterpiece. I mean, it's just a total symphonic masterpiece. There are movements and there's wordplay. Oh, I should um, share with you um, the... First of all, if you want to sign up for my weekly Dvar Torah, you can sign up here. And um, this week I wrote 
about um, about some of the just incredibly uh, 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 intricate and sophisticated wordplay that's going on in Parsha Toldot. And that, that is, uh, what can I say? It's my favorite Parsha. So I think it's, it's, it's worth a look. Here's the essay that I wrote on that this week. Okay. Um, but uh, we're going to just look at Parsha Toldot, this Parsha, and we're just going to look at the scenes that have Esau as a player. And that's the last thing I'll say before we 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 dive in is that when you go and you look at the material that the rabbis are drawing from, it's actually like pretty scanty. It, there, there isn't there isn't much there. There are two scenes, just two scenes of recorded dialogue um, here in this week's parsha. And then we won't hear from Esau until two weeks from now. There's a major confrontation between Jacob and Esau. And again, we could go, we could ask that. Uh, the truth is I'm writing now, I'm writing like two weeks in advance. So I'm writing about that confrontation, which is part of why it's on my mind now. I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out so that I'll be ready, so that we'll all be ready for Vayishlach two weeks from now when Jacob confronts Esau. And again, it seems like Esau is acting you know, pretty, um, pretty, pretty decently to his brother, hugs and kisses him. I mean, that's, that's also surprising is after all of their years of bitter conflict, when they reunite, they're hugging and kissing. So what's the problem? What's the problem? And if anything is the problem, it seems from the plain text of the Torah, Jacob is the problem. Jacob is the one lying to, tricking, manipulating, right? Jacob is the one who 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 steals a blessing from uh, Esav and um, buys, though seems in a kind of manipulative way, buys the birthright from Esav. Seems like like Jacob is is the character we ought to be suspicious of. But then again, Jacob is our father. What do we what what, what are we going to do? Okay, so I think I've laid out the problem, and uh, let's say a blessing, and we will. We'll dive in here and 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 take a look at some of these scenes and see if we can do. Because I I guess I want to say this: I don't believe that the rabbis. Some people would say, "Oh, the rabbis want to justify Jacob and they um and they they want to like villainize Asaph in order to you know justify our whole peoplehood and they're just making stuff up." I just don't believe that that's the way the rabbis work. I mean, I don't, I, don't get me wrong. They might have that agenda, but they're never they're never just going to make things up. They're always mining. They're, these are the most sophisticated readers of text that I have ever come across. And they're surely, they're finding something in the text. So let's just try, we don't have to agree with them by the end, but let's try to figure out what it is that they're sensing about Esav that would lead them to characterize him as the wicked one. Okay, so let's let's say a blessing, uh, and just uh, try to focus ourselves into the the sacred practice of learning Torah. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu Mitzvotav Etzivanu LaAsok B'Divrei Torah. Okay, all right. So let's take a look here. I'm going to give you a source sheet, and I said we're going to be um, uh, mostly or almost all in the text of the Torah. This is one of those classes where we're not going to look at a lot of commentaries, but I want to just give you just one, just one commentary. 
just so you have a feel for what it is the rabbis are doing. I just said it, but what do I mean the rabbis villainize Esav? And Rashi does a great job of carrying their critique all the way through the story. So every time Rashi sees an opening, he will tell you what a terrible guy Esav is. And here's an example. Um, uh, Esav and Jacob are twins. And we get, um, we get, we we find that out when 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 Rebecca gives birth. And here they are; they were twins. And the word for twins, it turns out, is written chaser, meaning um, it's written uh, with with fewer letters than it ought to be. This is the way that it, it usually looks to omim twins, and this is the way that it looks in our parsha which is missing a couple of letters. Now in Hebrew, you can get away with that because you can vowelize differently. You know, you, you assume vowels to be there and you don't need the full spelling, but it's always noteworthy when a word is missing one letter, let alone two letters of its standard spelling. So that's where Rashi jumps in here. Vihine tomim, there were twins. The word for twins is written defective, chaser. Whilst... That's a nice uh, old-timey word. Whilst in the case of Tamar, now Tamar um, uh, gives birth to twins as well, uh, Peretz and Zerach. Well, in the case of Tamar, it's written Teomim in the full spelling. Why? Because in the latter case, both children proved righteous, whilst here one was righteous and the other wicked. Okay. And I don't even like proved righteous because it doesn't say that as if, oh, we'll see eventually. It just said, it just says, because they were both, both children were righteous. Yeah. While the, I'm having a hard time erasing this. While, while the, here one was righteous and the other wicked. And I, I changed that to, to suggest that, um, that what Rashi is indicating here is that Asaph was bad from the start. He was born bad. Now there are other midrashim that say no, no, no. Actually, they were they were they were both good until they were thirteen, and then they started to diverge. Lots of ways of of describing this, but one way or another, we're going to end up calling Asaph the wicked one. So let's let's try to figure out why that is, and um, we could probably just open now and start speculating. But let's. Let's look at the actual text of the Torah. We have some material. We have some dialogue. It's very scanty, but we'll see. Is that a word, scanty? That's a word, right? Yeah. We'll see what um, what we what we are going to do with it, okay? Um, we'll see what we can do with it. All right, so let's take a look here, and then we'll open it up. A pretty simple uh, 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 method today. Just going to look at the few pieces of actual dialogue that we have with Asaph and see if we can figure out what's going wrong here. All right, here's the line that we just saw in Rashi. There are those twins. Okay. Uh, when her time uh, to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. Okay, now we should start paying attention because um, they are they are described differently. They are they seem to be fraternal twins, not identical, because uh, th that's not for sure. But um, the first one emerged red. Like a hairy, he, he was red and hairy. A hairy mantle is a funny way to put it, but as if he had a hairy cloak all over him. So they named him 
um, Esav. Esav uh, sounds like like Sear Esav. Esav might mean he's done. He's like all done. No, he's don't want that. Oh, I hear someone's uh, someone's not muted. Um, okay. Uh, so they named him Esav. And then his brother emerged holding on to the heel of Esav. So they named him Jacob. Jacob means the heel grabber, the one who grabbed onto the heel. Isaac was 60 years uh, old when they were born. And when the boys grew up, Esav became a skillful hunter. Ishio Deat Said, a man of the outdoors. Ish Sadeh, a man of the field, literally. But Jacob became a mild man who sat in tents. Yaakov Ishtam Yoshev Oalim. Isaac favored Esav because he had a taste for game in his mouth. Uh, I think maybe there's a typo there. Because a taste for game was in his mouth. But Rebecca favored Jacob. Let's just stop there, okay? Because that, that line there tells us something. Uh, there's a split. Uh, and this will become important. The father prefers or favors Asav. The mother prefers or favors Jacob. And all the information that we have about that so far is that one came out hairy, <laughs> red and hairy, and the uh, and 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 that one of them was a hunter, and one of them was a quiet, kind of quiet, uh, mild mannered tent dweller okay now okay so let's just see which one do you favor <laughs> which one do you prefer is there anything already that indicates Ooh, i don't like hairy people you know what i mean or i don't like hunters or, or maybe is there something there what, what do we see so far that might give us some indication that there's something wrong any thoughts No, often our our first first up to bat. No apology. Well, well, well. I can speak from experience as a twin, or go. Oh, perfect, perfect. I forgot that. Yeah, look at that background. We've got twins. Okay. Yeah, speaking from experience as a tw as a twin, it's the tw we're always trying to find our own identity. Not helped at all, but going to the text by Rebecca and Yitzhak, favoring one over the other, which just makes a whole mess of problems. But in my experience, we were each other's best friends growing up and sometimes enemies, more often best friends, constant playmates, constantly with each other, trying to form our own identities, but still being bound at the hip. So the parents i think made the issue of who was was the favored and that always causes problems okay brilliant comment brilliant comment spoken from from a man who knows um but it's so helpful um both to hear your experience but also to reflect i think you're right on the the phenomenon of twins which you know, we just saw in the Rashi is 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 um, is twinned, <laughs> repeats itself. Um, it, it occurs twice in the Torah. There are two two sets of twins. And look, we know sibling rivalry has been a theme starting from the days of Cain and Abel. There's tension between um, brothers, 
but there's something about the twin phenomenon that makes that tension all the um, sharper because it it they, there there is like in previous uh, sibling rivalries, there's always a question of the of who is the firstborn, who is the inheritor. With twins, that question becomes um, it becomes delicate because it it, it it's hard. There's a hardly someone who's older and, and younger, though there is. Aesop is the firstborn, but does it matter? So there's so so that in itself, the very kind of biological phenomenon of twins um, creates a, a a new dynamic of tension of tension where we have already seen um, tense dynamics among siblings. And then what Noah says, uh, it, 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 uh, sort of even more textured. Uh, um, reflection on twins, which is that because you are so close when you're a twin, you're constantly trying to uh, to to find your distinct identity. And if that is true from the twin experience, then it does some job of explaining, first of all, what the rabbis are doing when they are also trying to distinguish between are these just two identical figures no they must be there's something different about them and maybe it also does some job of explaining why um isaac and rebecca are like finding distinctions between them though they seem to be you know emerging at the same time and maybe it even does some a work of explaining why jacob and and, and asaph themselves went separate ways Okay, so all that's all very, very helpful. All right, let's keep uh, let's keep going, Ariella. Well, what I was first struck by when you said Harry was when he um, took his brother's blessing. He he put on a fur coat to mimic that hairiness. So, like to me. The hairy theme kind of keeps coming back. Right. Right. And That's right. I also posted in the chat where Rabbi Arthur Green um gave an amazing um article on twins. So that's in the chat. Okay, so let's pick up on our Ariella's uh focus here on uh, his his hairiness. Now, wait a minute, you know, like I'm like a Ashkenazi Jewish guy, you know, like I, you know, I was like, I, I, I've got some hair of my own and I don't want to be um, uh, condemned for it. But maybe there is something about that image that from the start, and remember he's red and hairy too, like pulsing with blood and life perhaps, that there's something, I don't know, beastly or savage about Asav. Right, like I say, this is a hairy guy. Okay, so I'm like I'm owning it. But like, uh, what what is like? Is that maybe part of the clue? Is that we're and then Jacob is smooth and delicate. Are we are we beginning to? This is one line of 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 analysis we could take. Are we beginning to see a rabbinic preference for a more refined, delicate kind of not the hunter, but the but the 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 the, the the, the quiet lad, bookish lad, right? Okay, uh, Payam. The key word is hunter. Uh, Genesis is the transition or the winning of agriculture 
over hunters. And the problem you have is the Cain and Abel story in which Cain is actually the farmer. So the rabbinical tradition is to almost redemption of Cain and turning that story into, no, that's the hunter saying we're, we're the farmers were bad and then transitioning from the farmers being good and the hunters being bad. So Ishmael is a hunter. All the other foes are going to be hunters. Good, good, excellent. Okay, that's that's also an extremely um, uh, in, incisive comment. And we've heard this analysis come up in our class before, that there is some um, transition happening in the ancient world from hunter-gatherers to, to an, agri an agricultural society, and that the, um, the, the Torah wants to privilege. Uh, this is a sort of, it's not exactly a, a critical, like you could be a traditionalist and still believe this, but it is critical historical in the sense that it is like trying to take into account like what's going on in the world at the time and how can we understand the Torah stories in light of that. And so maybe Payam suggests uh, or Payam didn't say maybe, <laughs> but um, Payam suggests that that's what's going on here is that Asab is the hunter figure. And, you know, we don't like hunters in this tradition. We don't like, it's not just, you know, overly macho masculinity that we're, that we're pushing back against, but actually it is a move towards a different model for, um, for, uh, for a man, for a, for a household, for a society, and we're moving away from from hunter gatherer. Okay, so that may be a polemic that's going on underneath. I, I would just say, and I kind of like, I, I want to. I've heard this analysis before. I think it's it's a very intriguing and helpful one. I'm always wondering though when I hear it, why? Okay, so there's a transition, but why would you want to villainize the hunter? What's wrong with the, even if society is moving in that way? I've never totally understood what what I don't know, Payam, if you want to follow up here, but. Well, what's the problem? Like, so okay, so they're we're not hunting anymore, but you want you want to make the hunter an evil character? It's yeah. like a bit of a strange move. I mean, it's anthropological. It's the Homo sapiens versus the Neanderthals, when there's actual war between the two tribes, and one of the tribes is the hunter tribe, and the other one is the farming tribe, and one I mean did wipe out the other one. So, mm -hmm. so this is like a sort of echo of a of a Homo sapien Neanderthal battle. That's the way I see it. Interesting. All right. All right. All right. Let's leave that there. Um, well, let's take a couple more, um, couple more thoughts on just that. I want to get into the dialogue itself, but let's just take a couple more. Um, uh, we've already got so much off just a few clues here and we're doing, this is exactly the, the right kind of work. This is the work that the rabbis are doing, just picking up on clues and trying to infer from them. So let's hear from Jason. Um, yeah. I mean, just taking a step back, you, um, you said in the beginning that the rabbis wouldn't be making things up. They're not going to put things into the text that, that aren't there, which sure, that makes sense. But um, couldn't it also be, uh, you know, it's possible to read any text in multiple ways. You know, you, two lawyers can come to the same evidence from two very different directions. It, it is um, what I want to say. It's like, um, you know, I would think it would be intolerable from a de devout standpoint for there to be a mistake here in the lineage, you know, like it should, it should not have been an error that, that it goes through 
Jacob. So it's very uncomfortable, you know, the, to view, to, it seems necessary to vilify um, Esau. And, uh, and I, I just don't know why it couldn't be a kind of confirmation bias in the reading that enables you to pick up on various details and put together put together a story. I mean, frankly, I think it's a more interesting story <laughs> with the confusion and the complexity, you know, with the, 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 the question there about like, why is it that the scheming brother should, should get ahead? You know, why are we okay with that? You know, um, anyway, that, that's all I wanted to say. You're right, you're right. Yep, you're right. I, 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 I wanna just admit that you, that, that framework is perfect, is a perfectly legitimate and strong framework. And I, I think you're right that I may have, uh, I wanted to state that I, that I, 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 um, I, I believe the rabbis to be very keen readers above all. And so I, I, like, I, I want to caution us away from just saying, ah, whatever, that's not in there at all. They came up with it on their own. And I do think that they're always at least justifying their interpretations with textual clues. But what you're saying is important in in and and is a sort of a bigger point, which is that they they're not they may not be making it up that if they are under simply understanding the arc of the story, the arc of the story is that Jacob prevails, is the character we follow, is our ancestor, is valorized, is like there this story needs us to find a redemptive. Um, a narrative for for Jacob, and that requires justifying the covenant. So, if Asav um, seems to be um, in in this in this parsha seems to be cheated or victimized, well, okay, that reading is possible. But the rabbis, it's not just that they're making things up. They need to look at the larger arc of the story and understand that. This, for some reason, God seems to prefer. How about putting it that way? The Torah does, God does, the lineage that we have inherited seems to prefer Isaac and then Ishmael and then, you know, on and on and on. And so that's a, that's, the rabbis are doing work that needs to be done. I think that's a perfectly legitimate approach here. Um, Joni Brenner. Thank you. So um, Isaac is 60. Right, um, it said. So what I think happened is Rebecca had an affair because living with Isaac was so sad and depressing. And the first man is a redhead and the second one is Isaac's baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a wild interpretation. Love that! Wow, uh, but how? Wait, but how does that? How could they? I don't think genetically that works with the twins. How could could twins be from two different fathers? Well, we have a story, right? Uh, okay, I okay, mean, right, we, we don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm, maybe there is a medical history out there somewhere where someone was in, but I don't think. Yeah. It, I'm, I mean, it's just his coloring, how he looks. This was this was the guy. This was the this was the fun guy. I mean, this guy was going to get. Her, she needed a baby. You know, it's funny because uh, there is a there is a midrash, Joni, that says that um, people were very suspicious of Isaac's birth 
uh, born to these old people. And they thought, and there's just no, they had been together for so long. There's no way they suddenly had kids. And so they started to say, oh, it must've been, she had an affair. And God made Isaac look exactly like Abraham so everybody would know, okay? So, but uh, that, that's just a way of saying that your suspicion is not, is it seems wild, but it's not one the rabbis haven't thought of. But I think that the twins things may, makes it especially um, wild interpretation. But I, I, I love it. I, lo I love, the, <laughs> I love the, uh, the speculation. All right, let's take, take one more before we move a little forward. Allison. Um, so what I've been thinking about is you used the word wicked when mm. you were talking about how Esau is remembered. And um, it made me think of Passover and like the four children in the Passover story, we have the wicked child and the wicked one is the one who says like, why are you telling me this story about you? As if like it didn't affect him also. Mm. And I guess what's, what's coming up for me is Esau sells his birthright like so readily, mm. you know, like he, he's not valuing the work that Jacob put into, you know, cooking the food, the lentils, he says like, oh, give me some of that red stuff, which is sort of crude. So it's, it's a bit disrespectful, not just to Jacob, but like to all those who like are in the home and make food, you know, like that labor of love that is food. And maybe like that combined with how easily he's like, well, I'm going to die anyway. So just take my birthright as if it doesn't matter. Like it flies in the face of the res the kind of like respect that our main characters have for their parents. Um, and yeah, it okay. doesn't have the door of a door thing. That's, that's an excellent reading. Uh, Allison gives us just an excellent reading and, uh, you know, uh, she's, sort of positioned as the the last commentator on the text we just looked at but really Allison is the first and very in a very sharp commentator on the text we're about to see so Allison sets this up nicely for the next piece here let's just take a look at at exactly what Allison is talking about because she's really um been able to um to hit all of the important um notes here when we look at this next piece of dialogue to remember what Allison said he sells his birthright so easily he refers to the food as just like, give me some of that stuff. He says like, what do I need with a birthright? I'm gonna die anyway. I mean, some of this language is very, very extreme. Let's take a look here. And especially the last line, when we ask what are the rabbis picking up on in the Torah itself? Let's take a look at the last line here. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Vayazed Yaakov Nazid, Vayavo Esav Minasadeh Vehuayef. Esau came in from the open famished and Esau said to Jacob give me some of that red stuff in Hebrew it's uh, give me some of that red red stuff that's what you called it that red stuff um, to gulp down I wanted to swallow it for I am famished which is why he was named Edom Edom is uh, the name of the nation that uh, Esau will um, will you know become but it also means red so it's like he was called the red jacob said first sell me your birthright okay um that's the quite a an offer birthright for a for a 
bowl of lentils. But Esav said, Hine lech lamut. I'm going to die. I am at the point of death is like, not really the, ani anochi holech lamut. I am going to die. So what do I need a birthright for? Now, that is a line that I's, has I, 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 I has stunned me again and again. I, there's something existential, almost nihilistic about this that's worth thinking about. But it also can come off as, you know, disparaging and 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 crass and cynical. Um, but Jacob said said to him, "Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And now listen to this last line. Jacob then gave gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank, and he rose and went away, and thus did Esau spurn the birthright. Look at how many verbs there are, and it, it works better in the Hebrew here. Um, Jacob gives him the bread and the lentils. All of these verbs, he ate, he drank, he got up, he left, he disgraced the birthright. It's like there's something so um, kind of rapid fire. Like he's just snatching and eating and drinking and getting up and leaving. And that was the moment he sold his birthright. And he doesn't seem to care. It's just like one of a series of actions like, who cares? Okay, so Allison did a, a lovely job of giving 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 those um, as, pieces of evidence as as a case against Aesop's seriousness, his um, sincerity, his integrity, his his respect for I don't know basic family values. <laughs> um, all right, so let's see what what do you what do you think about this scene? Let's turn to Deborah. So I've always seen Asav as ADD. And I think of him, I think of him as Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. You know, Tom Sawyer's following all the rules and Huck, Phil, Huck Finn's going out to the territories. It has to be active. It has to be out in the field. And so the fact that there's so many verbs is just, it's just sort of underscoring that kind of personality. And we have demonized that as um you know Huck Finn was somewhat demonized in in literature but Huck Finn comes out actually as a as a hero he um he protects Jim you know and I, I think we owe it to our biblical character to um to not see him as an evil guy to 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 see him as as just a different kind of personality with different kind of personality traits Good, 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 good. Okay, great. I'm glad we're like we're not we're not losing the the possibility of of of, of a redemption for for the for the character of Asaf. And what Deborah says is uh, such a helpful framework. There is, yeah, maybe the rabbis we I suggested earlier preferred a certain kind of character or a certain kind of masculinity, but. That's not necessarily what the Torah is presenting us. The Torah is presenting us two different character types, which, by the way, uh, you know, our forefather Isaac preferred one of, and our foremother Rebecca prefer preferred another one of. They're just different characters. And the the famous phrasing that becomes an emblem for this is "Hakol Kol Yaakov Ve'Adayim Yedei Esav." The voice Isaac says this when he 
when he couldn't can't figure out who's standing in front of him, he says, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau's because he's got like those fur, uh, that fur coat. To, to But it becomes a kind of a symbol like our power in Israel is our voice, meaning our speech, meaning our learning and our our intellectual life. But there's this other kind of power in the world, which is physical power. And, you know, we're so quick to privilege intellectual over hands-on practical knowledge. But the truth is, that's very important too. It's half of the equation. And actually, maybe what we should be seeking, I think Deborah's comments begin to suggest that, look, we were given twins. They're two sides of the same human personality. And we need both. And the great tragedy, this is starting to kind of get towards the end, but, you know, we don't have to land on this conclusion, but we might say that the great tragedy is of this story is that one of the children has to be privileged when they both have virtues and qualities. And, you know, uh, I am, I'm, I'm only vaguely remembering, so I can't cite it. I want to say in the name of Rav Cook, the first chief rabbi of Israel, but it is true that in the, um, the 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 found the foundation of of Israel and the kind in the modern state of Israel and this sort of new society and an attempt to create a new kind of Jew. One of the things that they were um, that they were pushing for was a, a reclaiming of the physicality of Jews that we had become too divorced from our bodies. And I think it's Rev Cook who says we need to combine the hands of Asaph with the voice of Jacob. Like both of those are strengths in the world. They're different kinds of personalities. Anyway, and now I'm starting to repeat myself, but uh, Deborah said it best. So you, you, you hear the point. And I think that's a, a very, very compelling uh, framework for redemption of Asaph and Jacob. Maybe we could actually celebrate them both in some way. Maybe that's something that we're missing in our usual analysis of this story. All right, um, we're running out of time. Oh, uh, we'll take one last comment from um, Ellie. Okay, well, just for a moment, because I know we're pressed for time now. I think it goes back to Rebecca. I think she was a really domineering mother. She chose to favor one son over the other. And Jacob, being this intellectual, peace-loving fellow, did what his mother told him to do. And it's still happening when poor Esau has to practically beg to get the blessing from his father. And I'm really simplifying it, but I have this thing about the mother and the son and Jacob mm. just did what mom told him to do. And it was his mother's opinions on him and his brother. And even though they were twins, but it's a mother thing. That's okay. All. All right. I that that's so interesting to hear you say you started to say that and I don't I don't monitor the chats but I can see them pop up and as you started to say that I saw Chaim type into the chat maybe Isaac is the villain in all of this which is just to say I love Ellie's perspective yeah. I think it's legitimate yeah. we could blame Rebecca we could blame Isaac or should we blame Asaph or should we blame Jacob? There's a lot, this is this is part of why it's such a masterpiece of a parsha. The perspectives here are sort of like um, sort of like a Rashomon, you know, like who exactly do we is guiding the action here? But I, I'll just say two last things in in closing. And there's obviously there's there's more to be done here. We could then dive into the rabbinic literature, and of course, keep in mind in two weeks we'll see Asav and Jacob Conf uh, the last 
uh, recorded dialogue um, uh, that we have of Aesop. But two two last things. One, we I, I purposely I cut us off. Aesop seems so sympathetic in this scene, but then I didn't read you the last line. And the last line, of course, is now. Aesop harbored a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had given him. That we understood. And Aesop said to himself, let the period, let but the morning period of my father come and I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, <laughs> that's not good. So, okay, like maybe that's enough. I mean, this has been a bad, you know, terrible family drama, but murder? I will, and the way he puts it, wait till my father dies and then I'll kill my brother. It doesn't it feels like, whoa, maybe this guy is a little unhinged. So there's more to be kind of unpacked there, but that's one clue. And then the other one I want to just like, as I close the class with, you know, running out of time, I just want to like give us a couple of last things to consider. That's one of them. After all, Aesop says he's going to kill Jacob. That seems like a bad idea. Or, or that seems like taking things to the next level. Um, the other thing to monitor in this week's Parsha. Like we looked at the two snippets of dialogue, but one thing that we didn't look at, which is happening along the way, is who Asav is marrying. And that's, there's something just to note here. There are two little moments of recording. Let's see. Um, now, the, we looked at Genesis chapter 25 and Genesis chapter, where was I? 27, but in the middle, is Genesis chapter 26. And at the end of that chapter, it just mentions in passing when Asaph was 40 years old, he took to wife um, Judith, daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basimat, daughter of Elon, the Hittite, both Hittites, Canaanites, and they were a source of bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, so they didn't like his wives. Now, that's not a good enough reason to write him out of the covenant, but maybe it is because take a look at the last thing that we read in our Parsha. When Esau saw, this is literally the last lines of our Parsha. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him off to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, charging him as he blessed him, you shall not take a wife from among the Canaanite women. Now that's interesting. Esau just did that. And Jacob obeyed his father and mother and gone to Padan Aram. Esau realized that the Canaanite women displeased his father Isaac. Here he's been trying to please his father Isaac. So Esau, and now this is an interesting solution. Esau went to Ishmael and took to wife, in addition to the wives he had, Machalat, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abram, the sister of Nivayot. Okay, I, I just threw a lot at you just in the end, but you can see this is another way, just like as we leave contemplating what's so bad about Esau, one of the things we might pay attention to is, is this guy dis clearly displeasing his parents, but is, is there something significant about the fact that he's marrying Canaanite women he tries to solve it by marrying Ishmael's daughter, but that doesn't, Ishmael's also a tense relationship. So that there's something, for all of the tension that we saw in last week's Parsha of making sure that Isaac finds a, a, a non-Canaanite woman. So there's something there about Aesop maybe like um, playing the field, literally, that also seems problematic. Okay, so that's just a little bit of a, a PS. Uh, there's a couple of PSs there. Aesop has a murderous rage, and Aesop's marrying outside the family. And both, we've offered a lot of of, of theories, of, uh, um, explanatory theories. Why why is Aesop so condemned? But here are a couple of other pieces of information to keep in mind. Okay, um, I wish you all a good Shabbos. And I will see you all next week for Parshat Vayetze when we take off and 
follow Jacob for pretty much the rest of Genesis. Okay. Uh, bye everyone. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.